United States submarine base at Key West, Florida. The dispatch that quoted President Truman's press secretary, Charles Cross, as saying that President Truman has no knowledge of any secret project by this government that would give substance to the existence of such objects. Cross also said that both the Air Force and the Navy deny that such objects... You did it again. I wasn't ready. I literally said I'm going to hit record. Oh, I was too busy talking over you to hear what you were saying. That yeah. was my bad. Um, so maybe you should get your shit together. Um, hey, what's up? My name's Noelle, and um, while you just got scared by Oliver being a fucking weirdo in the shadows of your home, <laughs> in my fully... This is the most lights that's ever been on in my home, first of all. Cora's snoring her fucking tits off right there. We're screaming, yeah. and my mom is passed out cold on the couch. <laughs> your mom is? Yeah. Why isn't she in your bed? I Because she likes to sleep on the couch, man. Because she's a That couch motto. isn't, like, long enough for her, is it? It, it is. But, right, well. And also, the couch folds down. She, uh, doesn't, she doesn't fold it down. She's, oh, she does it? Yeah. Fucking huh. weird. Well, uh, even and I've I'm, been... Wait, wait, wait. I've been waiting all day to say this. I say to it. introduce myself. What's up, gorgeous? This is Dee J. Baller, Chelsea. Um, which is an inside joke that only you and I will get. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I can't believe she just sleeps on the couch instead of in your bed. Don't you have, like, a king-size bed? I have a Tempur-Pedic queen. Not Tempur-Pedic. It's a purple mattress. I don't know. I don't know why. It's it's plenty of room for you and your mom. Yeah. Um, yeah. She just... Even when I'm not here, she won't sleep in my bed. She, like, likes to be in here. I don't, you know, man. I don't you know. So, anyway... <clears throat> also, she won't hear this for 365 days because um, <laughs> my mom listens to the podcast, but she claims that her phone puts it out of order. So just recently, my mom learned about the Fresno night. <laughs> Your mom's listening, but through alphabetical order. <laughs> just... She goes, the episode you did November 1st with the, you said the, the aliens that look like they're wearing the sweatpants. <laughs> I, <was> going, <laughs> I said, yeah. I said that- what? That, that happened so long ago. I did it November first of twenty twenty two, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! And she's like, the phone. I t- it's the phone. My phone does it in the wrong way. And I'm like, what? girl, your mom is such a trip. <laughs> what? So, um, hi, twenty twenty four, Amy. Nice to see you. <laughs> oh. We're doing well. I hope you have a great sleep. Yep. On the couch. Uh, Merry in a Christmas. Fully illuminated apartment. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone's just click clacking and being loud. Uh-huh. Um speaking of uh trash from New York, we're talking about Times Square today. <laughs> oh well. <laughs> Can't say that about your mother. Your perfect precious um, mom. <laughs> um, just kidding. I love my mom. Um, but she is Long Island trash. So um the sources for <laughs> The sources for today's topic are it's just Noelle's mom <laughs> yelling at her. <laughs> Actually, she had no idea about this. I gave her the like Spark Notes version. And she's like, "What do you mean?" So she even had no idea. But again, because she was stuck on Long Island. So the source for today's topic, the sources are uh, the New York Almanac, the Times Square official website, the New York Times, and the Museum of New York City. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Originally known as Long Acre Square, after London, after London's carriage district, what we now know as Times Square, <laughs> served as the early site for William H. Vanderbilt's American Horse Exchange. 
It was the biggest building on the block front of 50th Street from Broadway to 7th Avenue, stretching most of the way up to 51st Street. And as someone who's never been to New York, that almost means nothing to me, but I do know (laughs) Times Square. But you could put me in New York and be like, get to Times Square. And I'd be like, no, no idea. Well, I bet you'd figure it out eventually. Thanks for the address. Yeah, we Google it. But it's just supposed to say, this is the space. This is the space geographically. So. Okay. Vanderbilt. Okay. It's just, that's the, the area. Vanderbilt brought in millionaire horsemen whom the New York times in 1894 called quote, gentlemen of vast means to whom profits were no consequence of no consequence. They wanted the horse exchange to be self-sustaining and be a reliable center for thoroughbred horse trading, apparently unlike the common horse-selling scammers of the time. Also good to know that scamming has always been in fashion. And that rich guys would still just blow their money on the races. Yep. Yep. In the late 1880s, the the Long Acre Square consisted of the American Horse Exchange, undeveloped land, and for lack of a better explanation, a few dull apartments. But the neighborhood began to change pretty rapidly. And you could argue it's because of the millionaire clientele that was coming in from Mm -hmm. the Vanderbilt Horse Exchange. This also brought in electricity in the form of streetlights, which turned these neighborhoods into overall safer areas to be in, walk in, hang out in. Electricity also brought illuminated signs and advertisements, adding to the allure of the growing neighborhood. New York's first rapid transit system, the Interborough Rapid Transit Company, the IRT, gave easy access to this part of the city. And the IRT jumped real estate in the area because business owners believed the increased foot traffic to the neighborhood would bring in massive profits. Makes sense. It's Yeah, makes, makes a lot of sense. In 1896, a fire ripped through the American Horse Exchange, almost leveling (gasps) it. I know, I'm so sorry. It's going to get worse. Why didn't you leave that out? Because... Bad. We have to know. Almost leveling it and killing about 60 of the 265 horses stabled there. It was said that 6,000 people crowded around the fire, which like, this is such 1896 activity, like this massive, massive, biggest building, like one of the biggest buildings on fire. And people are just like, oh, check that out. See? (laughs) The fire of the century. Yeah. (laughs) Let's go. This is what happens when, like, your form of entertainment is actually just what you see with your fucking eyes. Mm -hmm. So, 6,000 people crowded around the fire, and that crowd got so large that it began blocking horses from escaping. That makes me so mad. I know. They deserve the misery that they felt. The people, not the horses. Um, The New York Times said that through the windows, quote, crazed animals could be seen dashing blindly around about in terror. And no, it's just the people. (laughs) (laughs) Those horses were recovered from all over Midtown. So Vanderbilt reconstructed the American Horse Exchange in 1897. But despite the popular belief that automobiles were unreliable, side note, wanted to add here a segment from the 1906 print of the New York Tribune where they said, quote, totally erroneous impression that the horse is going out of fashion. Um, so despite those opinions and comments, automobiles became very in fashion and increasingly popular, especially to the upper class that was already in the area from the Vanderbilt American Horse Exchange. 
And it's ironic how the convenience of the car to the exchange where they went to buy horses for travel ended up being the match to light the end of popularity and carriage travel. It's not to like, the Amish, though. Yeah, not to the Amish, you know. They're still at it. Yeah. Keeping them, keeping them just in trying to prove them wrong. <laughs> it seems like everyone at the time saw the opportunity in the square. And that's why former New York Times owner and publisher Adolf, how would you say that last name? Och? Och. Och. Or Osh. Osh. Yeah. We'll never know. Um, jumped at the chance that's, to build. Yeah, that's not the most problematic part of that guy's name. No. Nope. need to worry about. So. Some would say well, you barely noticed the last yeah. name after that. <laughs> following up that fucking act. So uh, he jumped at the chance to build the Times Tower, which was the second tallest building in the city at the time. There's two stories. Wall. <laughs> the wall. It was off the ground. <laughs> in January 1905, the Times finally moved into their new head- headquarters built between Broadway and 7th Avenue and 42nd and 43rd Streets, which means something to Chelsea, but maybe something to someone. Bringing with it the name change from Long Acre Square to Times Square. Hey, hey. A rebrand. Hey, I'm walking here. <laughs> <laughs> stupid <laughs> by 1910 the vanderbilt group gave up on the horse exchange thank god yeah and leased the entire site to lee and jj schubert for another theater in the schubert's growing chain of theaters across new york the schubert's were economical we're using a lot of the original walls of the american horse exchange even the riding ring would end up being converted into a theater auditorium They put up a three-story nightclub space that extended back behind the old walls to 50th and 7th and opened the theater with Al Johnson's 1911 debut in La Belle Paris. Almost effortlessly, Times Square became associated with theater. And by World War I, most legitimate theaters had moved to Times Square from the other entertainment districts further downtown, bringing with it popular bars, restaurants, and high-end hotels like the Astor and the Knickerbocker. Just to show how popular this area has become, in 1905, the first year of operation, the IRT Times Square station had almost 5 million passengers. By the late 1920s, the city built subway lines, elevated lines, and bus routes all stopped at West 42nd Street, Times Square, and it became a natural hub of the city. As the 1920s progressed, the economy boomed. And honestly, it was one of the first big moments for indulgence, not just in New York, but in the Americas. Stock prices skyrocketed to levels disconnected from reality. Banks basically gave away loans. And the need for greed led business owners to produce an overwhelming surplus of goods. And I don't know if you all are paying attention to timelines or public school has fucking failed you. But the perfect storm of these factors hit on Tuesday, October 29th, 1929 when the entire economic structure came tumbling down in a little something called the Great Depression. And obviously, this would come through and basically cut the growth of Times Square off at the knee. The city went from riches to rags overnight. Stocks crashed, anxious investors offloaded their shares, causing a full-blown nosedive in the market. On the now-known Black Tuesday, the market lost $14 billion in value. Which That's is crazy insane. to think about it in like 1929 prices. Yeah, that's a, that's insane. That's fucked. 
escalating the already escalated panic, resulting in an additional loss of $30 billion. Yeah, I've seen, I've heard like the stories of people who killed themselves yep. like on Black Tuesday of men just like walking out of a, yep. their business building. Exactly. Just over it. Could you, yep. oh my God. Yeah. Imagine living through World War One, mm-hmm. and then getting hit. Actually, you know what? I can't imagine living through war and an economic crisis. I take that back. Some would say we've done it once in 2007 and we're about to do it again, baby. <laughs> you know, so what, is, what does history do when no one pays attention? Repeats itself. Yeah. And Noelle's windows are painted shut probably from her landlord. <laughs> Otherwise she would have escaped off the top four years ago. <laughs> I would have gone right out. Also, I don't live high. I'm on the third floor. <laughs> I live I live high enough to just break my ankles and get another bill I can't pay. Yeah, you <laughs> you live you live just off the ground enough to be inconvenienced. Yeah, <laughs> but not to end it all. Yeah, um, like these brave soldiers. No, I'm just kidding. It's super <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> I can't believe you said that. <laughs> I don't know, man. If I fucking Please love if I was a fucking if I was selling stocks and I literally caused Black Tuesday, I would I would fucking line dance all out the goddamn window yeah. too, dude. I, yeah. I would be like, ooh man, I'm not going to I lost the house. I lost the kids' college fund. I've ruined the entire American economy. Oh, you can't like you know, your wife may forgive you if you bankrupt the family, but the American government <laughs> fucking is not, bitch. Mm-mm. And there's someone Mm-mm. who holds a grudge. It's the American government, the IRS. <laughs> yeah. They're fucking coming for you. And honestly, as far as I'm concerned, it's like the IRS was in there holding them at gunpoint, so they jumped off. But anyway, that's what fucking happened. Um, and ultimately, the market crashed by almost 89% from its peak in early September. The banks failed, businesses went bankrupt, setting the stage for a decade of unparalleled struggle. And New York City, being the financial epicenter where it originated, was also where its impact was most profoundly felt. People lost their savings either to the banks or by just trying to survive. They lost their jobs and homes. By 1932, half of the city's factories had closed. Nearly one third of New Yorkers were unemployed compared to the one quarter in the rest of the country. And approximately 1.6 million residents relied on assistance. Even those who maintained employment were hit with substantial pay cuts. At the time of the crash under the leadership of Mayor Jimmy Walker, New York City lacked centralized municipal services for job opportunities or rescue efforts. There were no central traffic, highway, or public works departments. Street cleaning was handled by individual boroughs. Five separate parks departments existed. Unemployment insurance was non-existent, and initially, the Department of Public Welfare had no available funds. I'm like, surprised that parks departments persevered, <laughs> but they were like five separate. Like that's the thing is, it kind of reminds me of exactly what we went through in 2020. Except this was this was why we have these like government assistant programs, right? Mm-hmm. This is why we have these safety nets because of. Great Depression and Black Tuesday. But when you ignore them, you get what happened in 2020, where people are picking up the phone, calling the unemployment line, you know, 50 times in five minutes, 
and it's just getting ring ring or hung up disconnected like it's it's the same thing in different font yeah. it's not maintaining it and ignoring it is the same as not having it at all which is what people um had here and so by saying five separate parks departments existed that that was basically just five individual dudes it was the neighborhood watch of parks departments yeah. it was just five guys one living in midtown one living in brooklyn and they were just like i like trees and like that was the parks department like that's what that consisted like fuck of. it i'm working and then yeah. they just kept showing up good yeah. for them honestly they're the that, real heroes of this story yeah that was literally it and like many cities at the time New York relied on charitable institutions and private benefactors to support their poor, homeless, and hungry. However, these organizations openly, openly acknowledged their incapacity to meet the demands faced by the Depression. And this is how we get, you know, the Wayne family becoming the benefactor of Gotham. Mm -hmm. You know, there was no infrastructure. It was just one billionaire superhero funding the entire fucking city. Except we didn't get the Waynes. We got the Vanderbilts. <laughs> so fuck him also but despite the depression do you know what profession seems to always boom no matter where the economy sits um i'm gonna say this not because i know what the episode's only about mm -hmm. uh but because i'm an educated person yep and i'm gonna say sex you better fucking believe it bitch and i encourage you all to read the vice article quote are we headed for a recession as sex workers end quote that's the title because that's the tried and true and even historical answer sex work theaters in the once booming Times square struggled to survive and many did what they had to do to keep the lights on like becoming what we now would know as cheap grinder houses a grindhouse or action house is a theater that mainly shows low-budget horror, splatter, exploitation films, or adult X-rated films. That I had no idea. Yeah, baby! History! According to historian David Church, this theater type was named after the, quote, grind policy, a film programming strategy dating back to the early 1920s, which continuously showed films at cut-rate ticket prices that typically rose over the co course of each day, a.k.a. grinding out these films nonstop. Some people think the name comes from the grind of barkers out on the streets trying to get you into the seats. Others think it comes from their proximity to burlesque venues where people would, quote, bump and grind <laughs> on each other. Either way, this was the start of popularity in grindhouses. Soon, other forms of adult entertainment arrived in the area, like live sex shows and burlesque. Hit the blocks. Former high-end restaurants became nickel and dime eateries. Peep shows, dance halls, and penny arcades took over Times Square. This change in the neighborhood turned 42nd Street into New York's own red light district. So fun. We love that. And while World War II got us out of the Great Depression... It only added to Times Square's reputation. Soldiers on leave or who were temporarily stationed before shipping out would flock to Times Square like moths to a flame to indulge in partying, drugs, and sex. Also adding to this, 
Construction restrictions during the war worsened conditions by halting the city's building boom of the 1920s. Times Square had begun begun a descent into every vice, sin, or depravity you could imagine. World War II even brought a literal, physical, and almost symbolic end to what once was Times Square. In May of 1942, Mayor LaGuardia announced a dim-out, mandating that all lights to either be turned off or redirected downwards. This was to protect the city from potential enemy attacks. And the lights that's that w- scary, isn't it? And the lights that once made Times Square safe and inviting were literally and metaphorically turned off. Also, I just feel like turning the lights off in a city isn't going to stop them from bombing you. Peace of love, peace of love. Yeah, you know what I mean. I'm not a war yeah. general, but I just feel like if they're fly- if they're flying over and they've got it, they've got the little bitch. You know, they've got the big boy in the tank. They're not going to be yeah. like, oh, I don't. I actually don't see a single light on. <laughs> yeah. Let's turn it Just around, like, actually. Mm-hmm. Like they've already, um, cal- if there's one thing Oppenheimer has taught us, it's that they already calculated the amount of gas they needed based on dropping the bomb and yeah. coming back. They don't got enough to come back with the yeah. bomb. So L- lights aren't going to help you when math is involved. Exactly. If anything, they should have doubled down and shown every light on the boobs of the sex workers and then they would have been like it's too beautiful to bomb yeah then they would have just like turned it to the ocean and dropped it honestly yeah let's say it would have just landed peacefully ending the war (laughs) they would have been like i do declare (laughs) (laughs) they would have turned it they would have turned into Nixon and Kennedy for some reason (laughs) i don't know why i got i got that that's not what the boobies can do for you That's just what I imagine LaGuardia sounding like because I hate that airport. (laughs) And so he's he's just the worst president ever. He's just like a Nixon. Talking about Matt Reif on Patreon, I'm like, we are making the stupidest fucking low-hanging jokes right now. (laughs) And we did not get a Netflix special. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. So... (sighs) Thank the troops for the tits. <laughs> anyway. Expecting you to do it. I had it in me. Um anyway. <laughs> oh my fucking god. So, oh. you know. Anyway. <laughs> in the 50. <laughs> oh, fuck off. <laughs> In the 50s, they tried to clean up the area with zoning rules, but it didn't do much. Then the 60s rolled in, bringing in more sex, more drug, and more rock and roll, baby. I cannot believe that this, it makes so much sense, but I could, I can't believe that this, like, red light district essentially persevered into the 60s. Like, I would have thought that it would have been shut down by then, but it also makes so much sense because as a child my thought of New York was essentially like the warriors where just street gangs were mm-hmm. running around and like Z snapping at each other like, yeah, or newsies even. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, they hate the swing boys. Yeah. Uh, but it's, dude, um, spoiler alert goes past the sixties mama. Yeah. That's wild. That like the, the shit that happened from the great depression had that much of an impact on Times square into mm-hmm. Probably our lifetime, because I'm pretty sure it took until, like, the 90s, like, super, 80s, going, yeah. 
Yeah, that's insane. So my lifetime. Your lifetime. Yeah. I was still a zygote. But <laughs> um so the 60s, baby, the 60s also brought in a renaissance of adult entertainment in a way. Even though Playboy was founded in 1953, it didn't gain mainstream popularity till the 60s, which also brought in one of its competitors, Penthouse, in 1965. And honestly, the rise of commercialized porn in the 60s could be its own episode that we dive into. Um, I didn't want to go off on the tangent here, but it's super interesting. Hmm. Times Square was lucky enough to see their grindhouse showings turn into 25 cent peep show a big craze that hit, hit these little adult blocks and i had pictures and i totally forgot to add them here um because i'm a piece of shit and they're just sitting on my fucking computer right now you know but, what? you don't have to post porn on the research doc it's totally cool it's but it's not porn it's like the advertisements it's like 20 oh. 25 cents and it's like a sailor jerry type style girl with their tits out it's very cool now you're denied me art. I know. I'm so sorry. I'll, I'll Honestly, send it to you. how dare you? Okay. I'll send it to you. So, and this brought in fucking money. Um, these like 25 cent peep shows really kicked off in 1966. And other quote adult businesses jumped on that bandwagon selling adult films and adult toys. 24 hour X rated theaters began to pop up like weeds. And even to this day, the famous blue store and DVD stands next to the New York Times building. So if you're in town, you can go to what's in Times Square, like the M&M's factory. And then you can also go get, you know, like anal fisting seven. So profits from sex and drugs shot up. And by 1968, the mob was in the picture. Bringing in more prostitution for both men and women. I want to emphasize that. The one thing about Times Square is that it almost, uh, male prostitution almost surpassed um, female prostitution. And by prostitution, I mean sex work. So sorry. I think I've heard about this a little bit from last podcast on the left. They've done like a few things. Um, they did the assassination of Versace and that guy was whoever... Um, killed Versace was like part of this. And since mm -hmm. it was like illegal to do any porn, the way that like they would do these like super quick in and out, like rent a hotel room, shoot the scene, and then everybody would leave. So it's mm -hmm. like almost so many anonymous different people too. Cause they'd be like, yeah, I need like 25 bucks. And then they would go like, I, that had to have been insanely rampant of like, yeah, this is, this is where the rent by the hour problem. shit comes into play. Yeah. So. Hmm. Interesting. Um, obviously, the mob also brought in more drugs and gambling. Some would say the classic racket. They were able to hide in plain sight by both mob protection and just natural human traffic. Because even though like the Great Depression made Times Square turn into a red light district, it was still one of the biggest hubs, like transportation hubs. Mm -hmm. um, so just literal bodies moving through rush hour also helped kind of like hide it. And it's the classic, like, mind your fucking business, New York mentality. Keep your fucking eyes straight. What they're doing to the left and the right has nothing to do with you. It's, mm -hmm. um, and it really comes from like this, you, you have to commute through this area and you're going to see people shooting up, shitting and sucking dick all right next to each other. Might even be the same person doing all three. And guess what? You still got to get to fucking work on time. So you just keep it moving. Um, so that definitely helped them also hide in plain sight. And obviously cops 
turned a massive blind eye to Times Square, not just because the that's the NYPD, one of the, you know. I imagine that's because of the mob being yeah. involved. Half the mob, half NYPD being like one, you know, only second to the LAPD as far as uh, mm-hmm. police departments turned gay. And also probably the best customers. Yeah. yeah, probably good customers, honestly, return customers. And also one of the things that speaking of um, last podcast on the left that Marcus has talked about before, um, it's one of the like, quote unquote, lesser dead areas. This is a high rate of sex work, and this is a high rate of um, POC sex workers. So guess what cops don't care about? Them. And yeah. that just, you know, that is what it is. Yeah, something I'm kind of thinking about just in the back of my mind while you're talking about this is, like, the drag scene and, like, all the club kids, like, RuPaul um, in this era where, like, partying hard was, like, part of the culture. And mm-hmm. I wonder if this is also part of it because they're not going to care yeah. about like it is like less dead zones that's a really good point because it yeah you'll find out about how uh, less dead it is in a second so um fast forward to the late 70s and Times square was breaking records for felony and crime complaints so it also a note here the cuny researchers estimated that the weekly gross profits of peep shows ranged from seventy four thousand dollars to one hundred and six thousand dollars in 1978 um, which is a lot in today's money. So anyway, that's just 25 cents a piece. So yeah, like, ima- say, imagine how many fucking, you know, it's crazy. They're getting feet in the door. Yep. Big time. So getting dicks in the hole. Dicks in the that hole. That was bad. Dicks Edit in the hallway. Dicks in the seats. <laughs> um, so anyway, back to crime. Like we said, a uh, lesser dead area. It should be no surprise to hear that Richard Cottingham, a.k.a. the Times Square Killer, a.k.a. the New York Ripper, a.k.a. the Torso Killer, was able to rape and murder at least 18 young women and girls between 1967 and 1980 when he was finally caught by no help of police, by the way. It was like pretty much his co-workers who were like, hey, you fucking guys, pretty sure this dude's killing people. Hello. And then like, the few fucking brave sex workers who had actually gone and reported him, mm-hmm. which as we know is not done because reporting a violent Johns as a sex worker, not only puts a target on your back by the police. Cause you, you'll go in there to report a crime and then turn around and get arrested. Yeah. But it also puts a target on your back because you could be potentially de- like detracting business from the area. So it's like, yeah. It, it's just not a safe thing to do. So there were a few who like actually came out were like, this is insane. Um, and it was those people who had been screaming about him for years that finally got him fucking caught. And yep, he was doing this mostly in Times Square during the peak of the red light district, if you will. In 1981, Rolling Stone dubbed West 42nd Street the quote, sleaziest block in america and that's when noel's mom moved in Ah! sorry amy don't be mad at me in three years when you finally hear this (laughs) when she finally hears this um (laughs) and i'll go ahead and say it here that ronald reagan brought crack to times square in 1986 and obviously the already high crime rate skyrocketed Mm-hmm. And I also want to mention here there, I didn't go into this um, because I didn't want to like get lost on a tangent about it, but there were also mention of at this point when crack was brought into times square that um, underage 
I don't even want to say sex work. There were a lot of trafficking. There, you there say was trafficking. a lot of trafficking of underage kids happening at this time specifically. Um, and I, I would like to think that this is what caused the change. Uh, but it definitely wasn't. Um, it wasn't that kids were finally being dragged into like this criminal depravity. It was unfortunately pretty much landlords. Yeah. Once the money starts to get affected, that's when people will actually give a shit. Yeah. Unfortunately. Landlords were the ones who were able to push the local legislative hands and start the redevelopment project focused on revitalizing 42nd Street as a theater and entertainment center. Why? It kind of looks like they just wanted to be able to take part in the egregious rent drums, rent jumps that new york city as a whole was like taking part in that's hard to do when you are like a crack capital yeah so what do they do they turn it into fucking disneyland edcny or new york city economic development corporation has an article on the 42nd street development project and it states quote starting in the early 80s however 42nd street slowly transformed from an area that people avoided at all cost to one where millions of people passed through each year. This transformation was thanks to continued collaboration between the city of New York, the state of New York, and private developers and investors. It didn't happen overnight, but today the block is revitalized, full of brightly lit theaters, attractions, and restaurants, constantly brimming with people from all over the world. NYC EDC was proud to help lead the effort to transform this once dangerous and run-down 42nd Street into an economic engine and tourist destination, end quote. And Carl Weisbrod, former president of the 42nd Street Development Project, said, We've taken an area that was the symbol of the worst of the city and transformed it into the symbol of the best of the city. Yeah, sounds like a wise broad to me. Yeah. I, too, am a wise broad. <laughs> And with the help of lots of corporations, advertisements, and good old-fashioned forced marketing, and American consumerism, baby, Times Square went from the 25-cent peep show to the most horrific tourist trap in America. I look forward to never going to New York. Mm -hmm. It was like at the bottom of my list. (laughs) I will say, Times Square is a fucking shithole. I, it's nothing. It's got nothing. It's not cool. There's like, if you want to go, like, sit fucking dicks to butts in a crowd full of people and get like pushed around and probably catch some crazy sickness that no vaccine can save you from, go to Times Square. But like, there's no reason for it. There's, yeah, it's, and it's a shit show. It's like getting there is a nightmare, leaving there is a nightmare. Um, like what do you like? What are you really trying to do? Like, yeah, have a. I don't want to go anywhere where I have a hard time parking. There is no, and parking. I can't park there. There's no parking. So, um, yeah, that is Times Square, and I think it's it's interesting. Even like you know, my mom being born and raised 
in um, New York, unfortunately, Long Island, but still, it's like how honestly good this whole marketing ploy was for the reinvigoration of 42nd Street, Times Square, that this was in her lifetime and she doesn't even remember this. Like, it's, I didn't even, couldn't even recall this ever being a thing. Yeah, it's it's wild because, like, obviously I'm, like, the 80s, like, I came in as a, a mere baby. Mm-hmm. But I distinctly remember New York being, like, a, a criminal shithole based on, like, everything you would hear about it. And then, yeah, one day it was just, like, cleaned up. And I think, yeah. like, the person who took the most credit for it was Rudy Giuliani, which is so wild to see his, like, very public fall from grace because he acted like he was the one who cleaned up New York, and that's what made him so, like, popular. And uh, good old-fashioned Republican heavy-handedness is what mm-hmm. got New York cleaned up. But it was the fucking Economic Development Corporation who <laughs> was yeah. just, like... Hey, let's just run all of these businesses out of town and we're going to put in the M&M store. And Vegas was like, it worked for us. Yeah. That's I how mean, you get the fucking mob out. Candy. And you want to know the thing too, is like, not just candy, but like they specifically, and this, this, maybe it is, it was actually, I don't know. I was going to say maybe it, because it is legal, illegal. That's why they did it, but I doubt that they had laws back then that um, prevented you from having a uh, 24-hour sex shop next to yeah. like a children's toy store. But that's what they did. Like that's what they did to start this um, like economic development project was literally buying out um, these like you know X-rated entertainment centers and putting in a children's toy store. Yeah, I don't even see him buying them out. I see him just rezoning it mm -hmm. and be like, you're not zoned for it anymore. And it's just like, that's that's what they did. And to think that, like, there was a moment in time where you had, you know, peep show, neon sign, oh, neon sign peep show right next to, you know, like, fucking teddy bear store, a -a Build-A-Bear. Something for the whole family. (laughs) Yeah, honestly, it's crazy to think about. But um, yeah, I I don't know. It's it's so American, also, to think that like this Times Square became violent and dangerous and dirty and dirty. I mean, like you know, there was just used needles and yeah, literally trashed. Just like it was, yeah, it was fucked up and. And it's almost hard to conceptualize when you look at it now. But it's like, how American is that? It's just a fucking advertisement disguised as a landmark. It is just the definition of American capitalism and consumerism. Mm -hmm. Just incarnate. It became a tulpa of itself. American consumerism and capitalism became a tulpa and manifested physically as Times Square today. Yeah, and it it's, only makes sense that it came from the rotting bowels of what it was. Yeah. It's just they slapped some frosting on it, made mm-hmm. it better than what it was. 
Because um, I think like that's even the tea of it too, is if you peel back, it's still there. Yeah, there's still the less dead. The New York cops still don't, like, cops everywhere still don't give a shit about the less dead. Yeah. You see, even now when it's like, what is it called? Like, the missing white girl syndrome or whatever? Or, uh, I mean, we still see it. And, like, I don't know, man. If I can't fucking park there, there's no appeal to me. <laughs> I don't understand. I don't yeah. even go to certain places. If there's only, I don't go to Main Street in Salt Lake because I don't want a parallel park. Yeah. It's not for me. It's not for my people. I come from a very long lineage of refusing to be inconvenienced princesses. Mm -hmm. um, not for me. It would have been cool, though. Like, I've never been to, like, a red light district. Like, you hear about them in Amsterdam and stuff. It would be cool to go see something like that. But that only happens with, like, legalization and protection. Yeah, I was going to say. Red light district with laws and order. Yeah, we wouldn't, you wouldn't see, like, the red light district, um, like, how it is in Amsterdam. And obviously, in Amsterdam, it has its problems, too. But they have mm -hmm. obviously decriminalized sex work and protect sex yeah. workers. So, um, that's yeah. a start. So, um, yeah, that's, that's Times Square, baby. I learned so much. No idea. They swept all of it, all this history under the rug. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's actually like hard to find the history, and that's where like all of the sources are actual, like the literal New York Almanac, girl. You know what I mean? I like, know. When you said that, I was immediately flashed back to the Great Almanac War that we talked about last time. Yeah, <laughs> the Museum of New York City, Times Square official website, like because they did such a good job of marketing this fucking polished turd so well we're gonna cover something too that's like local history that i had never heard of was like the mormon island where they just banished people to i can yeah. see that from my house and i had no idea like, yeah there was a banishment island and people lived on it yeah also i just that's added um pictures to the dock at Ooh. the end um so these are some examples of Times Square. I also love that last one where you have um, a burlesque girl, or honestly, she's probably a sex worker, like getting dressed in between two parked cars in a building. And then there's the cop beating down a John, and someone has written over it greetings from New York City. I think that's great. Yeah. It is just so fascinating. Honestly, it just kind of looks like Vegas. It looks like, like old Vegas. Yeah, it looks kind of like Fremont Street, if you know mm -hmm. where to look still. Yep. Yep. Um, also, do you see that, like, the magazine stand is, like, mostly... Uh, Men? Yeah, mostly gay porn. Super fun. Um, and so, the blow-up doll? Yeah. She has seen better days. <laughs> it is interesting, though. Also, those prices, man. Ten cents. Ten cents to see some titties, girl. Damn. Yeah, and then <laughs> the golden dollar presents topless from 1 to 3 a.m. The perfect time. Uh, this is fascinating. I know. You know what? The world the, premiere of peepholes. Yeah, the, the world premiere of peepholes makes me think of how I so desperately want an original movie poster of Deep Throat. Which, again, oh. the renaissance of fucking porn, yeah. baby, in the 60s. That would be, yeah, that would be a good look. Uh, it's weird cool. that Linda Loveless helped save America. That's the American dream, honestly. 
Yeah. We've got to, we've got to do a deep dive into um, the deep dive into deep throat, deep dive into deep throat girl, write that down. (laughs) We've got got to do the, the deep dive into the adult entertainment industry in the sixties. Cause um, it, it both the good and the bad. I think that would be super interesting. There was a a documentary about like an adult bookstore, and it was it even like surpassed Blockbuster at one point. Like when all of Blockbuster went out of business, I think this this adult store was still there. And the reason why I watched it was because Alaska Thunderfuck was mm-hmm. uh, used to work there, and they talked about. Um, like places like that almost become a symbol of free speech because it's like we are selling this like really niche art that's like, yeah, a little fucked up, but what is happening like with like trafficking and stuff like that? Like they're like, we're getting people in here to collect and appreciate the art form. But then you have these like senators who are involved in these actual sex scandals are the ones trying to shut it down. And Mm -hmm. it was almost like they stayed open out of principle. And I think that a lot of this stuff like almost can like represent that. And um, when you get into like the art movement or art collection of it, and then it's also on the flip side of something can like so symbolically be like a fuck you to society that at the same time, it's also victimizing everybody involved. Like, yeah, I think that like sex work is one of those um, like interesting topics because but but honestly also no because much like everything it has its good side and its bad side Mm -hmm. like there are people who are doing it because they love it and they enjoy it and it's their career and then there are people who are violently forced into it and abused Mm -hmm. but you could say that about a lot of different things i think that it's just um so extreme because in the worst cases it could be so violent and life-altering and life-ending um, where, you know, not many other professions have that type of pendulum swing. Yeah. And then you have it um, echoed, right? Because like, how do we get to that pendulum swing where it's so dangerous and so violent? How could something that um, comes from pleasure and enjoyment and euphoria turn into something so dark and evil? And and you have to think that like, it it's probably connected to are like our cons- like our constraints and restrictions and our fucking like wasp ideology yeah the of, deeply ingrained puritan culture yeah, the puritanical culture of it all because at the end of the day that's what prevents us from creating laws that protect sex workers yeah. and i think like the the gray area is where things become dangerous and violent and where people get hurt and killed um, I, I think it's all in that gray area. And, and why do we have it as a gray area? Because deep to our core, we are still shitty little pasty white disease infested motherfuckers on the goddamn Mayflower bitch. Like, yep. it does not matter how far in the future we've gotten, how AI is going to take all our jobs. We are still puritanical pieces of shit. Um, and it sucks. Because you could also say that the reason why, like, the pendulum swings in such a negative way on consumers of sex work is the same puritanical stigma that has created a fetish, that creates an addiction, that creates a reliance. It's like, 
that doesn't come out of nowhere. That comes, but that's because you've you've put the fetishization on it. You demonized yeah, it. You you've know, put it I mean? in the yeah. You've put it in the dark, mm-hmm. and it's like literally what happened with like fucking Times Square. The second you turn off the lights, that's when shit starts happening. Yeah, exactly. And it's like yeah. it's so silly to think that like this honestly time time honored tradition of sex work that has been consistent and constant since you know humans could smash genitals together that we're just like oh if we just like don't fucking talk about it like you know if we just like we have an abstinence only ideology to it and it's like that's why we are you know that's why talking about child sex trafficking is a dinnertime conversation of politics because Mm -hmm. we've allowed it to fester and rot into that you know and it's just crazy it's crazy it's fucking crazy man and like that's not to say legalizing it and putting protections doesn't stop that shit from happening it obviously like that shit's obviously happens but i don't think it would be happening as at the extreme i even think about it in like our fucking little mormon bubble where Literally, the governor made porn the public health crisis of Utah. And I'm like, hey, bitch, our air is so bad that it's like the equivalent of smoking like 10 packs a day. But porn is the problem. And so much so that they have made it illegal to view it. If If you're in the state of Utah right now and you try to pull up Pornhub, it's going to come up with a like, your legislators have blocked this. It's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> One sec. Don't, don't choke and die. She's choking and dying. Yeah. Also, you know, don't tell the governor, but it's still on Twitter, bitch. But it's just like, it's so also in the Utah bubble of it all. It's so interesting that like, we're a state that screams about like the small party. We're in a state that screams about like, get the government off my shit. And then meanwhile, you can't even access a 18 and over website if you if you live in the state and you are 18 and over and you are a consenting adult watching other consenting adults like it's fucking crazy. yeah it's crazy. oh sorry don't die I'm down the wrong too. <laughs> um yeah there's like even signs that says like porn kills remember like the porn kills yeah porn our kills. cosmopolitan is porn those like billboards that were up for a while yeah and I was like, is it porn? I haven't read a Cosmo in forever. I used to just read them for like the... I thought that they like, the whole thing with that was like, because Cosmo would do like, you know, 10 tips to, uh, you know, like give better blowjobs or shit like yeah, that. Yeah, but the tips were terrible. Yeah, the tips so, were like, squeeze the nuts. <laughs> You're like, the one fuck? of them was like, put pepper on his face oh. so that when he orgasms, he gets two sensations at once and it will blow his mind. And I remember reading that as a child and remembering it was ridiculous, but um, denying that sex exists is not the way to keep sexual acts healthy. And I think that's like a big issue with like, there was a whole thing in like Britain where a lady got a mammogram on like a talk show with like, like live and like the doctor was showing how to do it. And the lady was like fully topless and it went like fucking viral here. And it was like, look at what they're doing and it was like oh Mm -hmm. that's a mammogram in a way that isn't displayed on like a like a cantaloupe of like somebody doing it like i'm seeing exactly what you're supposed to do but it was like immediately sexualized and it went and that is such an american thing i feel because whenever you hear about the stories of like 
the couple who went to the doctor saying they couldn't get pregnant. It's because like they were doing anal the whole time. Mm-hmm. Like, and you go, oh, classic American. Like it literally is. Like you know that yeah. they're from like Peace and Love, Alabama, and you're like, but that's like that's just where we're at. Like that's who we are. Like that's just what we're known for. We are the country of puritanical beliefs, and it is still very much like we are an abstinence-only country for the most part. And you know, it's funny because that's why, and not funny because that's why we have stories like this coming out constantly and often, and also why we have these extreme std rates like utah is a um abstinence only state they do not teach sex education we have high teenage pregnancy and we also have high teen std rates and sti rates and it's like what do you think like be so fucking for real it's crazy and like by making it taboo you're making it illustrious you're making it a delicious little snack you know what i mean yeah it's like how um we let little kids tell their bishops about any sexual encounter or thought that they've ever had. And that's supposed to be normal for salvation. And these are your friend's dad is a volunteer into that position. Yeah. Um, And that's also why it goes unreported. And then you have like all this again, child sex abuse happening handled internally. And there's no laws to say to like, make some of these people mandatory reporters. Yeah. It's just, so it, it's because they don't want to talk about it because they want to pretend yeah. it doesn't happen. And like, yeah. even if it only happened to 0.002% of people and children, which is still too many, you have to fucking have laws and regulations where like, come on. It's just ignoring it does not make it go away. Yeah. And, and it's like, why do you think, why do you fucking idiots think like priest and nun fetishes are huge? You know what I mean? It's yeah. not because the Catholics have a really like healthy view of sex education. <laughs> like, come on. It's just, I don't know. It's so fucking crazy to me. So anyway, we'll have to dive into that one. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we just really exposed some yeah. stuff, but this was fascinating. Good yeah. fucking job. Yeah. There you go. There it is, baby. Um, Speaking of cool things <laughs> speaking of things that you uh should not taboo and talk about we have a link tree in all of our bios we are at go to hell podcast i am at noel fane that is at sith lord and in this link tree in our bios you can find links to our patreon dollar guess you in fun episode this week um we talked about matt rife controversy um which is mm-hmm. fun you can also find a link to our merch 100 of proceeds are donated you can find a link to Kelly Holloran or at Wildwood Owl on Etsy. She makes cool stuff for us and she makes cool stuff in general. So check that out. The holidays are coming. It's a fun little fun little treat. And we also have a link to our Discord server, our Facebook room, rumors, and I don't know why you need it, but links to listen to us, which is anywhere podcasts are heard. Cool. <sighs> Perfect. Also, thank you to, I just logged into our bonfire. Thank you to everyone who bought the Death to Pickleball shirts. Hell yeah. <laughs> need to uh, Hell get yeah. that fixed. We'll probably have new merch coming. Uh, we've had some pretty, yeah. Noel just needs to find me fonts because you're I such know. a font hag that I Blurry. just don't even try anymore. Um, um, if you have fonts you like, let us know. <laughs> um, you know. You know who doesn't hassle me for fonts? 
And you know who would honestly like probably choose good fonts too? That would be like, oh, you're so right. That's a really great font. It's totally not juggy and cringe. Thank you. Would be the one and the only Hail Satan. That's who gets it. You know what I mean? That's who understands the plight of choosing a font. Mm, Specifically I'm still- a font that's free. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with hail the lady who is taking care of all the dogs in Salt Lake right now mm. and especially the one that you found mm-hmm. hail her yeah big hail to her hail to foster big hail to fosters okay let's get the full gutty all right bye bye